So this weekend we're going to talk about uh, trials and temptations. And I'm going to tell you a story about when I lied to my mother-in-law and uh, how that kind of played out. I think if, uh, whether you're, you're at the Kennedy campus, the Rocha campus, watching online, I think we can all admit that temptation and trials are something that we all face. And we all, and the other thing about temptation is the temptation that may affect me may not affect you. You may look at uh, a temptation that I struggle with and say, well, I don't even understand why you struggle with that. But then there's something that maybe you struggle with that I would look at and say, well, that's not an issue with me because our temptations are all different. The other thing about temptation is that if we don't get a handle on temptation, especially in a certain area, it can get grow and it can get stronger. And you can get to a place where it was just a little thing, but now it's become a big thing. And it's now it's not just a little thing, it's affecting, uh, it's, it's, it's doing great things. And, and so it can snowball, it can grow. So we really have to get a handle on temptation. We have to really figure out how do we manage it, what is it, and, and how is it different than trials? Because James is going to talk about trials, and then he's going to talk about temptation. And uh, he actually uses the same Greek word, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. So I think it would be good if we just jump into the passage uh, in James. And that's the book we're going through in this series. And uh, James chapter 1, I want to start reading at verse 12. And you could have followed along with me in, in your Bible. Or just listen. Um, here's what uh, James says to us. And more importantly, what God says to us through James, through, through his word. Blessed is the one who pers- perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. That's the progression I was talking about. Let's talk a little bit more now. Notice what he says next. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he's created. So the first thing we want to talk about here is, in this passage, especially starting at verse 1, all the way going through the verses that we just read, James uses the Greek word, and he uses the word, uh, it's sometimes in the English translated trial, it's sometimes translated temptation, but it's the same word. Uh, perizo is, uh, is basically the same word. And so uh, the interesting thing about this is the writers, you read every English version and you'll see that they, they go from trial to temptation. And the question is, well, why do they do that? It's not a different Greek word. It's the same Greek word. And, and that brings us to a really important part of understanding the Bible. Um, you'll hear many pastors and teachers, and they'll get out there and they say, uh, this verb or this uh, Greek word means this, you know, it means this or this or this or this or this. And what all they're saying is that the Greek words have a range of meanings. Sometimes it means this, sometimes it means that. We do that in English. We have words that mean a range of meanings. Like, uh, I'll just give you a, a common one. We say, uh, well, that was bad. And you can say, well, that was not a good thing. But uh, then the word took on a meaning was somebody did something really good. And said, well, man, that was bad. And they don't mean bad. They mean good. And so there's a range of meaning. It's exactly the opposite, right? But it all depends in the context. 
So context is always king. So when a, a pastor or somebody else tells you this word means this and, and they pull some lexicon or dictionary meaning out of a word and apply it to the passage, you say, well, it might mean that. But the context is going to determine what it means. So it, it's really important that you understand what the context is because the context always determines the meaning of a word, not a lexicon. A lexicon helps you to get a range of meanings, but in the end you have to determine the, the meaning of the word by the context uh, of that. So, what does he mean here? Why do they switch from trial to, uh, to temptation? Why do they do that? What's the point? What are they seeing here? And I think what's interesting here and what, uh, what uh, they're understanding here, which I think James is understanding here, is there's a difference between trials and temptations. It's like two sides of the coin. And so uh, here's how that kind of plays out. There are times where God will allow us to go through trials. Circumstances of life, health issues, relational issues. Sometimes we cause that, sometimes God allows them, right? God tested his people in the, in the Old Testament. You see, God is bringing them through trials. They don't, have, they don't have water, they don't have food. What are they going to do, right? Are they going to trust God? Are they going to you know, curse God? <laughs> what are they going to do? Those are the trials, right? So every week, every day that you go through your life, you go through trials. You have bigger and smaller trials. The question is, how will you respond to those trials? See, trials are always outside of us. Those are the things happening around us, outside of us. The temptation is, what are we going to do with that? What are we going to do with that trial? And that's, that's the point. The difference between a trial and a temptation is a trial is something that happens outside of us. God allows us to go through trials. But temptations are something that happen from within our hearts. They are what draw us. They are what move us. They are what you give into when you say, why did I do that? Why did I give into that? Why did I cave in? Why was I so weak there? And, and that's what James is trying to point out. He is showing us that God tests us, but he never tempts us. And it's important to see the difference of that. In fact, he says, God forbid, you know, that he would do that. So in other words, God may allow us to be tested. He may allow us to go through certain circumstances uh, that are on the outside. The question is, how are we going to respond? Are we going to sin? Are we going to give in? Are we going to blame God? Um, Every adversity, every prosperity. And by the way, a a test, a trial doesn't have to be a negative thing. It could be a great thing. You could, you, you could get a, a, a huge raise at work with more power and more uh, money, and, and that's a test because God is saying, okay, now what are you going to do? Because you don't get just tested when you're poor and when you're struggling. You get tested when you're prospering. What are you going to do with that? Is that going to corrupt you? Is that power going to give you kind of an ego trip? Is that extra money going to make you kind of like, oh, I can't live on this, I have to have this, and, and now you know, you, you, you've gone down that. So every adversity, every prosperity, every difficulty, every success is a test. Uh, it will either make you wiser, it will be an opportunity for growth, and if you handle it properly, it will move you towards God and it will gain you a crown of life, or that same opportunity can be a terrible danger if you miss mishandle it, uh, it, it can move you down to the chain. And he says the chain could, can go all the way to death. If you give in, it can lead to death. It, it, it could be a very dire thing. All right, so that's the difference between, tri- between trials and tribulations. That's kind of what James is talking about. Uh, so temptations, what do we do with temptations? How are we to respond and how are we to get a grip on temptations? 
So I have a few things here to say, and we'll go through this, and we'll, we'll bring some uh, application in. The first one is don't play the guilt game. There's a number of games that we can't play when we get tempted. The first one is don't play the guilt game. One of the things that I've noticed with people is people feel, especially Christians, feel very bad about themselves. They feel horrible about themselves that they're even getting tempted. They say, well, I should be above that. I should be on that. I shouldn't ever be tempted. I should never, you know, I'm being tempted to do this. And why do I have those thoughts to do that? Why do I have that, that temptation going on? And, and so um, being tempted alone is not a sin. It's what we do with the temptation. So in other words, you may be tempted to do something and act immorally. And the answer, uh, the thing is, if you're tempted to do that, uh, how long will you, you know, you know somebody would say, you know, the old the adage was uh, in sexual immorality is uh, well, one look is free, the second look, look is you've, you, now you've sinned, you know. And, and so in a sense, you, you know, uh, how long do you dwell on it? How far do you go? How long do you play with it? And so temptation in and of itself is not a sin. Remember, you look at Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is tempted by the devil. Look at that. I have the reference there, Matthew 4, 1 through 4. I'll read it. Then Jesus was led into this, by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So there's Jesus being tempted, right? And, he, and he, he's 40 days and 40 nights of fasting before he's tempted. So he's physically weak and uh, you know, emotionally at a, at a low point And he's tempted at his greatest point. In, in the Old Testament, we see that God's people in the nation of Israel are tempted. They're tested in the wilderness. And they spent 40 years in the wilderness because they failed the temptation, the testing of God. They gave in to temptation. Jesus was tempted for 40 days and did not sin, uh, but he trusted in God. And see, so Jesus is fulfilling what Israel should have done. Israel should have been obedient to God and should have not given in to temptation. For 40 years they were in the wilderness, but Jesus, 40 days and 40 nights, was tempted, but he passed. He didn't give in to sin. So temptation, though it's ugly, though it's burdensome, in and of itself is not sin. The issue isn't with the temptation. It's what we do with it. So remember in the garden, Adam and Eve are tempted, right? They're tempted by the serpent. And uh, they, were, they, they, they had an opportunity to obey God. And the temptation, in a sense, really came down to this. Can you really trust God? Does he have your best interests? And isn't that the temptation that most of us are faced with? Every one of those temptations we struggle with, at the core of it is, can we trust God? Is he, does he really have our best interest at hand? Can we really believe that he wants the best for us? That's the, that's, the, that's the argument that Satan was bringing to Adam and Eve in the garden. But the good news is, we're told in Scripture that when we're tempted, there's a way out. There's a way of escape. There's an escape room. Uh, look at, uh, you write this verse down, I'll read it to you. This is 1 Corinthians. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He says this. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. So you need to get to a place where you go, God, where's the way out? Jesus, help me find the way out. Help me not to give in. Help me not to fall for this. Help me to find that. So that's the first one. 
don't play the, the guilt game. Secondly, don't play the, the blame game. <clears throat> don't play the blame game. So Adam and Eve, when they were tempted and, and when they sinned, what was the first thing they did when they sinned? They hid, right? They hid. Why? Because they realized they were naked. And, and, and God comes looking for them and he says, Adam, where are you? And, he, and he's hiding. And I don't know how you hide from God. We still try to do this. You know, we, it's funny how we laugh at Adam and Eve. We say, well, why would they think they could do that? And, and yet we sin thinking, oh, God won't see what I'm doing here, <laughs> right? We do the same thing. So uh, it's just kind of what we do. We just are very, we're very hard on other people. We're very kind of easy with ourselves. But Adam and Eve sin. They're in the garden. And, and Adam really blames Eve and God for his sin. Notice what he does. He says, this woman that you gave me, gave me the apple. So it's her fault, but it's really your fault that I ate it. It's not my fault. We do that all the time. We often blame God or we blame Satan. The devil made me do it. That's what, that's what Adam said. Uh, we, we blame the people around me. We blame uh, our circumstances. And James will have none of that. James will have none of that. James says we are responsible for our own sin. And I think that's something that the American population needs to hear. Own up to your own sin. Don't blame others. Don't blame your environment. Don't blame your parents. Take responsibility for your own sin. See, we should never blame God. He doesn't tempt us. James tells us that He brings good things into our lives. He says this. That's why He says this. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. God is always good and He always brings us good things. Yes, He will allow us to go through trials, but they're for our good. They're for our good. The point I want you to see is you sin because you want to sin. Now, you may be here and say, oh, I don't ever want to sin. I don't want to sin. And, you know, there was a preacher, Jonathan Edwards, in the early 1900s, and he was a great preacher and uh, uh, Puritan preacher. And he, he, he wrote a book uh, on the freedom of the will. And essentially, the freedom of the will, in this book, what he, his argument was this. You never do anything unless you want to do it. You have absolutely complete freedom to do what you want to do. Um, so let me give you an example. Let's just say you go into work and uh, you're, you're going to work on Monday and your boss tells you to cook the books or to lie. He says, go, you need to lie. And if you don't lie, you're not going to have a job anymore. Right? You, you need to lie. And if you don't lie, you're not going to have a job. So you, 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 you'll say, well, <clears throat> well, I don't want to do that. I, I, I don't want to lose my job because he said I'll lose my job. So if the, if the boss tells me that if I don't lie, he'll fire me, well, I don't want to lie, but I have to lie, right? I have to. We feel like, well, I don't have any other choice. Well, yes, you do. Yes, you do. You see, what Edwards would say is, 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 you would say, I didn't want to lie, but I had to lie. I didn't want to hurt their feelings. I didn't want to do... We, we, we say that. We say, I didn't, I, 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 my hands were tied, right? There's nothing I could do. I had to lie. And editors would say, hold on a minute. You, you want to keep your job more than you want to tell the truth. So what are you saying there? You're saying, God, you know what? I can't, I can't trust you to provide for me another job. I can't be an honest person. 
I've got to give up my integrity because I can't trust you to provide for me. Rather than standing and doing the right thing here and getting fired and saying, you know, it's more important that I have integrity than I tell the truth then I honor my father because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and we're told to tell the truth, not swear by the altar and just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Tell the truth. Don't lie. Don't swear on your mother. You know, don't do any of that stuff. Um, but you, 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 he, he would say, you, did, you sinned because you didn't want to get fired. In other words, you chose, you had the freedom to choose what you want to do. So you sinned because you you had the freedom to do what you wanted to do. You made that choice. Now, let me tell you why I lied to my mother-in-law. <laughs> it happened. So I was early into the family, okay? And, uh, and the, the, uh, I think it was at a Sunday dinner or something like that. Her birthday. I don't know what year it was. Don't really care. But it was a special birthday. And she said, I don't want a surprise party for my birthday. She announced that at dinner. Well, what did everybody decide to do? Let's have a surprise party for her birthday. Okay? All right, so they're doing the planning. I'm, not, I'm keeping my nose out of it. Okay? I'm just the new guy, right? And so I'm not doing anything. I'm not... Now, you have to understand, my mother-in-law is a pastor's wife. Okay? So we're coming... We're coming to her house for ch- after church because they usually would invite us over and we'd have pot roast. And so we were with going to the house after church and she was ahead of me and she was walking in the door of her house. Carol was with me, I think, and she stopped and she looked at me and she said, are they going to throw me a surprise party? I mean, just like that. I mean, it was like, hey, are they going to throw me a surprise party? And I go, no. Okay. So we move on. We get to the party. She comes in, surprise, surprise. First words out of her mouth. You lied to me. She still brings it up. (laughs) Well, I did. I did. I did. But here's the thing. I don't want to get into a whole ethics discussion here. That's not my point. My point is that you sin because you want to. You can't really blame anyone for your sin. You, 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 you know what? Uh, you are responsible for your own sin. God isn't responsible. No one around you is responsible. Your environment isn't responsible. You have the freedom to choose. And I want to read you this verse from uh, Proverbs. Write this down. Proverbs 19.3. It's a very interesting verse. Proverbs 19.3, it says this. A person's own folly leads to their ruin. A person's own folly leads to their ruin. Yet their heart rages against the Lord. What the writer of Proverbs is saying is, you know, we, we go ahead and sin. We choose to sin, but we blame God for it. Here's the third thing. Don't play the gullible game. Don't play the gullible game. We are suckers when it comes to temptation. We fall for it over and over and over. And we think, well, I'll do better next time. I I won't fall for it. Now I've learned, you know. No, you know. And we make promises to ourselves. We say, no, I'll never do it again. And we keep doing it again. And Proverbs has a funny verse for this one. It's not so funny, but it's, uh, it's true. Proverbs 26, 11, as a dog returns to its vomit, 
So fools repeat their folly. I mean, one of the things that, you know, about Proverbs is it doesn't pull punches. It kind of, you know, kind of says it like it is. Um, there's a whole bunch of verses like that. The point is, what I'm saying is we need to prepare for temptation before it comes. We need to prepare for te- You know, you remember the story about Joseph in the Old Testament? If you don't know, Joseph was in Potiphar's house. Think of Potiphar as a title for a governor. So he was like right under the governor and he, ha- he managed the house for the governor. And he was a good looking guy. And he, the Potiphar's wife was, was hot after Joseph. And she was, she, was, she was trying to corner him all the time. And Joseph was trying to be careful. And trying to, I mean, can you imagine car- trying to carry out the, the business of the house and having your boss's wife after you? I mean, that's kind of what was going on. And one day, she corners him. And this is what happens. This is uh, Genesis chapter 39, verse 11. One day, he went in the house to attend to his duties. And none of the household servants was inside. You know why they weren't inside? She told him to beat it. She said, get out. She caught him by his cloak, and she said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. She's... She's left holding his robe. She cries out rape. Now Joseph, could have, he could have comp- comp- compromised. He could have, you know, given in to her, her things, uh, her, her demands. And he could have said, well, you know what? I'm going to do this because I need to keep the job. And, and, and uh, you know, I'm going to, if I don't, then I'm going to get into trouble. And he did, by the way. By the way, he, what he did was what we need to do. He fled. He ran. He got out of there. And he still got in trouble. <laughs> he still got thrown into prison. And, but he did the right thing. Okay? So here's the point. You say, well, he, he didn't really have a choice. Well, he, ha- he had a choice and he had a freedom to choose. And his freedom was to run. Now, let's just say that he didn't run. Let's just say he gave into her commands. What would have happened if he had been caught out, found out? He would have been dead. Because he would have been found out sooner or later, probably. But he ran. Now, my guess is, as you read the story, when his wife brings these charges, she, he kind of knows that Joseph is a, an incredible man of integrity, that he probably never did it, and his wife is making the story up. But his hands are really tied. So he throws Joseph in prison, and uh, Joseph is left there. But the point is, what Joseph understood was that it was more important that he held on to his integrity than he gave into temptation. Notice what it says in Genesis 39.9. Joseph says to her, No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. And then notice what he says. He says, How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? You see, what Joseph had was a high view of God. He says, you know, even if my master doesn't see it, and even if no one sees it, he always sees it. I will be sinning against my God. So Joseph had a high view of God, and he honored his master. He was a man of integrity, and he had one simple plan, run. And he ran away naked. I mean, he ran away, he had his clothes. And, and, and that's kind of the, 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 that's the, um, the direction we're given that Paul gives Timothy. He says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.22, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, and love, along with those 
who, are, who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Notice he says, flee the evil desires of you. So you have to have a plan. Your, your best plan is to run. And here's what we do. We play around with temptation. Play chicken with it. We, we kind of say, yeah, a little, just a little. Next thing you know, we fall in. So the question I want to ask you is, what boundaries are you, setting yourself, are, are you setting up to keep you from sinning? Whatever it is in your life, like I said, your temptation is going to be different than mine, or than your neighbor's, or than someone else that you know. So the question is, what boundaries are you setting up? Uh, we all are tempted in different ways. Our weaknesses are different. What steps are you taking to prepare for temptation? What places are you avoiding? What devices are you turning up? How are you guarding the gates? A few weeks ago, I talked about the ear gate and the eye gate. And what I said was, we let way too much stuff in our eye gates and our ear gates. And that leads us, that temptation leads us to sin. We need to start running from that. We need to start turning those things off. We need to start putting ourselves in the places where those things are happening. And so you need to take those, you need to take those, those steps. And, and Proverbs tells us that. In, it says, uh, Proverbs 22, 3, the prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep, uh, keep going and pay the penalty. Have you ever felt that way about temptation in your life? I just feel like I get fall for it over and over and over. And the, and the, and the Bible would say, you're a fool. Take some steps. Do some preparation. Because if you don't take those steps, you're going to pay the penalty. The prudent, though, see the danger and they take refuge. So what are you doing to see the danger and take refuge? Now, let me give you the key to what I believe is one of the greatest keys to overcoming uh, temptation. So in the Greek mythology, there was this uh, captain, who uh, uh, Ulysses, and you know, you know the story probably. Uh, he would uh, basically tie himself and his, his, his men, they, the, they would lash themselves to the, to, to the, the posts, uh, the sails, uh, the uh, masts of the ship. And they would tie themselves there because they didn't want to hearken to the siren's call. The siren's call would, 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 just, would, would wreck them. It would absolutely destroy them. So they covered their ears and they would tie themselves. In other words, they, 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 they did that. They took that. And that's, that's one way to do it. Um, I remember coming across... Well, let me read you the verse. Jesus says this. This is pretty se- severe. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 9, he says, If your eye causes you to stumble... Gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. So the question is, does Jesus literally mean we should gouge our eyes out? Well, I don't think so. Uh, I remember uh, seeing, reading a book uh, about missionaries. And uh, one of the pictures showed a missionary and uh, three uh, uh, natives of, to that culture. And uh, they were men. And every one of them had both their eyes gouged out. You say, well, how'd that happen? Because they read this verse. And they took it literally. Here's the problem with that. The problem with that verse is Jesus says you can commit adultery in your heart. You can visualize it and commit sin and not touch anyone. See, so it goes deeper than the eyes. The eyes, the eyes are just a reflection of the heart out, or the mouth, right? Out of the abundance of the, the mouth, the heart, or out of the abundance of the mouth, the heart speaks, right? So it goes deeper than that. So, so, so how, do we, how do we get a handle on temptation? 
And uh, Scottish preacher Thomas Chalmers said, the, here, here's his quote. He says this, The only way to break a hold of a beautiful object on the soul is to show, the, uh, show it an object that's even more beautiful. And what is he saying here? Because it's pretty important. What he's saying is the reason we give in to temptation so much is that we're enamored by it. We're, we're, we're in awe of it. We're, we're, just, we're, just, we're captivated by it. And what he says what we have to do is we have to find something greater to cap, captivate our hearts. So let me give you a simple uh, example. If you're in a marriage, you ought to be captivated by your partner. You ought to be captivated by them. If you're captivated by your partner, you'll never look at another woman. You'll never look at another man. You'll never entertain that. You'll be captivated by that. But let's go a little bit deeper than that. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the biggest problem you have in temptation is you're not captivated by him. And as we allow our hearts to be captivated by him, as we reflect upon what he's done for us, how he gave his life, how God sent his son, how he, we are so loved and he has given up so much so that we could have life and we could have joy and peace and all those things. When we begin, we, we allow our hearts to be captivated by that, we become like Joseph where we say, how could I do such a great thing against God? We have more revelation than Joseph had. We have Jesus. We have the New Testament. You see, what, what, what was Joseph? What was the thing that kept Joseph from sinning? He was captivated by God. He says, God is too important for me to give up. I can't throw in the towel for you. I've got God. See, that's what's going to give you traction in the area of, of, of temptation. How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Joseph was saying, my heart is captivated by God. Here's a la- uh, ne- another thing. Don't play the victim game. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that we do is we feel like, oh, there's no hope. I've sinned so many times and too far gone. I've just given in. I just feel like I, I just am never going to get victory in this area. And uh, notice uh, Hebrews chapter 4 says this. Uh, it's, he, he says earlier in the context, he says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one. And this is talking about Jesus. We have a high priest or we have a savior. We have Jesus. We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. See, the point you need to understand is we're never this side of heaven going to attain perfection. We're never going to kick sin. We're never going to get to a place where we're sinless. Uh, we're always going to fall. We're always going to sin. We're always going to struggle with it. Paul is wrestling, as you see him in, in Romans chapter 6 and 7. He says, why do I do the things that I don't want to do, but I don't do the things that I want to do? Why am I having the struggle in myself? So Paul, if Paul struggled, I guess we're going to struggle too, right? Uh, but here's the point. When you take full responsibility for your sin, you don't blame, you don't blame shift, you don't make excuses, you don't curse your environment, but you confess and repent. There's forgiveness. That's what 1 John is all about. So I want to read you those verses in 1 John because it's the way back. This is the way back. This is the way that you find cleansing. This is the way you find forgiveness. John tells us in his epistle, 1 John 1, verse 8. Let me read this to you. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And I think we're hopefully... Everyone in this room, Roshek, listening online, can be honest enough to say, I would never claim that I'm without sin. I know that I sin. 
Okay? So he says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and truth's not in us. Notice what he says next, though. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. He says this, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. Okay? The goal is not to sin. That's what he says. But notice what he says next. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. So this is a really important thing, because you have an accuser that wants you to feel guilty and down and dirty about your sin. And he wants you to remember your sin, even the ones you confessed and you've repented of and you turned from. He wants you to feel bad about yourself. And so what he's saying here is we have an advocate that stands before the Father and says, Father, those sins are under my blood. Those sins have been forgiven. And so we have to embrace that and say, I've confessed that. That sin is gone. I need to move on. See, the point I want you to see is you you will fail and you will sin. But he didn't for you. And that's really important. What Jesus did was... Jesus was tempted in every way like we are, but he didn't fail for us. In other words, his perfect record goes on our account. That's what he did on the cross. When he died, he died for our sins. He lived the perfect life, the life we should have lived, and died the death we should have died. There's the transfer there. So when we put our faith in him, we get all the benefits that he gives to us through his life and through his death. That's the point of the cross. That's the gospel. That Jesus Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again on the third day. That he died for our sins so that we could be forgiven. So that we can have life. So we could have forgiveness. See, I think it comes down to this. If we think little about our sin. We can just go and sin willy-nilly and it doesn't bother us. It doesn't worry us. It means that we're not thinking enough of the cross. Because if we go and look at the cross and we realize... That one of our sins, doesn't matter how big or small, that one of our sins was enough to put Jesus on the cross. I think we think different about our sin. We wouldn't look at a sin and say, oh, it's just a little sin. It doesn't matter if it's a little sin. Sin is sin. And that sin put Jesus on the cross. See, in the end, our biggest problem is the state of our heart. And it is only Jesus that can heal our broken, rebellious, and wandering heart. So James says, you're going to go through trials. You're going to, God is going to allow you to be tested. But temptation is on you. Giving in to temptation is on you. And if you're going to endure temptation, you have, to, you have to find something greater to look to. You have to fall in love with God. You have to be amazed by Him and, and, and go to the cross and remember what He did for you. And you have, to, you have to stop being foolish and say, I can handle this on my own. You can't handle it on your own. You have to take severe steps. You have to do some incredible things to do that. And, and whatever you're tempted with, you know what you're... You, so think about, okay, so what am I going to do in the next few days that's going to keep me from maybe that place, that time, that event? What, what am I going to do on that electronic device that I'm going to block that or I'm going to have somebody who can, has permission to go on there any time and look at what I, where I've been and what I've looked at. You know, when are we, see, those are the steps that can help you, but it really comes down to changing your heart. And you have to be amazed by God. 
Only then will it change. Will you stand with me? Let's pray. Father, this is a work of, uh, of your word in our heart. And thank you, Father, that you don't tempt us. You, you allow us to be tested. But temptation is what's coming from within. And our hearts need to be healed because they're broken. And we have to fall in love with something greater than what we are falling for right now. May that be you. May we look to the cross and understand the incredible cost that was paid for our sins. May we never forget it. May we be reminded of it as we're being tested. May we respond like Joseph did. How could I do such a thing against my Father in heaven, against my Savior on the cross? How could I do such a thing? May that thought come to our minds the next time we're tempted. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.